This is the Mike Lupica Podcast. This podcast is great because your enthusiasms, it's why we've all been reading you for so long. This is a great vehicle for you to actually get to in a long-form way, explore those enthusiasms, sometimes with the perspective of an additional 10 or 20 years. Thanks for doing this today, pal. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having the me. fun of this is, I just talk to guys that I want to talk to. That's what, to me, is such a blast about listening to your show. First of all, the first time I ever saw Bernie on television, I started to talk like him <laughs> as I was watching him. <laughs> Can you imagine a great Michael Jordan saying, hey, you know what? We can't beat the Pistons. Let me go join them. The essence of sports is about competition. In your face questions. How much of a dope is he? Compelling. A billion dollar industry, the biggest we've ever had in sports in this country, often comes down to a flip of the coin. This is the Mike Lupica Podcast. Here's Mike Lupica. Mike Lupica. Hello and thanks for listening again to the Mike Lupica Podcast. Our, our guest today is somebody I should have had on sooner than this. Uh, he was the 19th White House Press Secretary serving under President Bill Clinton. That that was when being White House Press Secretary was like a full-time job. Uh, he hosts the Words Matter Podcast, a CNN political analyst, man about town, and a lover of Georgetown Hoyas basketball. He's Joe Lockhart. But before we get started with Joe... A word from our sponsor, Circle. As a parent, we know kids face a million, and I mean a million, online distractions. Fortnite, Snapchat, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, the list goes on and on and on. Circle makes it easy to take childhood offline when needed so they can focus on homework, chores, or just bedtime. Are your kids buying apps they shouldn't? Signing up for social networks they're too young for? With Circle, you can rest easy knowing that they're safe inside the guidelines you set. Mike Lubica here, and Circle is changing the way parents can monitor their family's online access. With Circle Home Plus and the Circle app, parents can filter what content is allowed, set limits for screen time, and monitor history and usage. Hey, you never stop worrying about your kids, but with Circle, you know you have one less thing to worry about. Right now, our listeners get $30 off Circle Home Plus when you visit meetcircle.com slash lupica and enter lupica at checkout. Get $30 off when you visit meetcircle.com slash lupica and enter lupica at checkout. That's meetcircle.com slash lupica and enter lupica to save 30 bucks. Okay, now Joe, you, you heard me introduce you as 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 a lover of Hoya basketball, and and so I hope that means that you're still loving my dear friend Patrick Ewing. I love Patrick Ewing. Patrick was a uh, freshman when I was a senior, and uh, he had my college advisor was a former college basketball player, so he was assigned to Patrick, and I'll never forget I was going in to defend my senior thesis with a panel of professors. In, in you know my advisor's office, and Patrick had an appointment and got there a little early, and his seven-foot frame sort of ducked into the office, and I sort of looked around and I said, you know, Patrick is important here. Why don't well, we're done here, aren't we? So he got me out of the second half of my senior thesis, which I've always been grateful for. Okay, I'll, I'll tell you this, and we're not going to spend the entire podcast talking about Patrick, but uh, yeah. Patrick and I were as close as 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 a columnist and a star player could be, even though he had come out of Georgetown a little wary, I think that's fair to say, with the media because of Coach Thompson, okay? Absolutely. And, Joe, a few years ago... <laughs> when there was an original purge at the Daily News. And for like one day, I was like in the news cycle and I wasn't on social media. And everybody was like writing my obit as a columnist and I was fired in it. None of it was true, but there was nothing for me to do except write it out. I told the kids, I said, don't pay attention to anything. I'm, I'm still writing. Okay, so about nine o'clock that night, after after the whole world has been calling me that day and I didn't talk to anybody. The phone rings and I see it's Patrick's number and I pick up the phone and he goes, do you get fired? And I said, no. And he said, good, because if you did, I'll never get a head coaching job. And um, he, Joe, I, I had been beating the drums for this. I had given up hope 
that that he was ever going to get um, a, a head coaching job, despite having put in more time as an assistant coach than any player of his stature ever had. And the day it was announced at Georgetown, Dave Checkets and Jeff Van Gundy and I were like teenagers. We were so happy for this guy because I, we had always known that apart from his greatness as a player, all the good that's in Patrick Ewing. Well, I'm uh, looking forward to. I mean, it's we're on we're on the up. I mean, it's been a, a down couple of years, maybe more than a couple of years, uh, but we're going in the right direction. We open the season Wednesday night. I'm going down tomorrow for the game, and um, you know he's he's the best of Georgetown, and you know it's I I I can't believe he won't be successful. And and Joe, I've said this to Patrick: if a Boston College man and a Georgetown man can can live in peace, is isn't there hope for this fractured country of ours? I believe there is. I I, th- I think there is. Uh, that someone was making the case to me last night that that Sean Doolittle couldn't go to the White House yesterday because of his political beliefs, and Kurt Suzuki wear a MAGA hat, but when they get across the white lines, they work as a team. You know, that's a that's a lesson for Democrats and Republicans. Yeah, but Joe, I, I, it's going to be tough for me to unsee the president feeling up Kurt Suzuki. Are, are you are you in the same lane with me on this? Uh, you know, not since Al Franken did I see something so uncomfortable. <laughs> We're talking to Joe Lockhart. All right, Joe, let, let's let's go back. Uh, let's get in the way back machine. And 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 uh, okay, there are a couple of things I want to get to. One is what was it like? Um, it, it, you know, uh, back in the day with with the Clinton impeachment, and why is it, let's start there? And why is it so wildly different from what we're witnessing now? Well, there's a bunch of uh, fundamental reasons uh, that, that it's different. One is the, the underlying offense is very different. You know, Clinton's was just a a terrible mistake, a terrible uh, judgment error, and you know something that he has to live with. Uh, this is, you know, with Trump, it's using the entire government for his own gain. Uh, so right from the start, it's different. Secondly, the, the environment is very different. You know, in 1998, there wasn't Twitter, there wasn't social forums. Fox News existed, but, you know, it hadn't really found its groove as the you know, state propaganda arm of the Republican Party. Uh, and, you know, if when we wanted to speak to the public, we had to go through the media uh, and we had to go through that filter. So, we, you know, we had to stick to the truth as, as closely as we could. And we had to make arguments that were rational rather than ridiculous. Um, today, you don't have to. Trump reaches 65 million people through Twitter. He has Fox News and Sean Hannity repeating, you know, the garbage that comes out of his mouth. And, you know, they've made the guess that through social media, through Fox and some other outlets, they can just say whatever they want and enough people will believe them and, you know, they'll get reelected. Um, I mean, that, I think, you know, structurally is the most important difference. Joe, and, and again, I, I, I'll get back to the impeachment question for, for, in, in a moment. But but your job was something um, important and, and even honorable at, 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 the, at that time. And it's been prostituted so wildly under this administration. And I'll start here. How many, how many briefings did you generally have a week? Uh, generally four or five. Uh, there is a, there's, you know, there's just a custom around the briefings that if the president is traveling, you don't, you don't necessarily do a formal briefing. Or if he's doing a news conference that day, you don't do a briefing. Obviously, the president's a better source on his thinking than you are. Um, but one of the one of the biggest disappointments uh, for me has been uh, the the loss of the briefing. It really, you know, it was an institution that allowed the American public to check in if they wanted to on what the government was doing that day. Now, not a lot of people did, but it was important. It kept the government honest. It made decision making at the White House better because we had a deadline every day. Of, you know, we can't go out there and say we don't know what we're doing. We need a, You know, we need a decision. And, the, you know, these guys have just completely abdicated and, you know, let you know, Trump by the helicopter be how the, how the government communicates with the people. 
I, I've been doing this thing uh, on Twitter now for about six months, and I call it the shadow briefing. And I know, you know, you just know from being around what the questions are, and I just ask myself the questions and answer them with the truth, yeah. uh, hoping to shame them into um, uh, uh, into actually going to the briefing room and using their answers. Uh, but shame doesn't work with these guys. I, again, it's like I've done, you know, probably 70 of these briefings now while they've done, none, you know, none of them. And a reminder that today's episode of the Mike Lubica podcast with Joe Lockhart is being sponsored by Kronos. Kronos knows that many organizations maintaining a modern workforce of hourly, full, and part-time workers, for them, it can be a challenge. This is especially true for human resources professionals working hard to attract and retain all the best talent. That's why Kronos puts HR, payroll, talent, and timekeeping on a single cloud-based platform. It's one specially designed to give HR professionals supporting a blended workforce a whole new level of confidence. With it, they have everything they need to tackle nearly any human resources challenge and are empowered to not just find and hire the right people, but to engage, motivate, and reward them every single step of the way. Learn more about Kronos HR solutions for the modern workforce and the people who support them because Kronos is at heart a people business at Kronos.com slash HR swagger. Kronos workforce innovation that works. You know, I, I, I said on, on, on Twitter the other day, Joe, that Stephanie Grisham is actually making Sarah Sanders look like the good old days as the White House press secretary. Yeah, at least Sarah engaged a little bit. She was not truthful in her engagement, and she was um, a little bit n- uh, nasty in her engagement. But she showed up in the briefing room occasionally. Stephanie has not, and and Stephanie has has transcended the White House press secretary job and become a propagandist. The 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 comments she made about John Kelly about not being equipped to deal with the genius of our yeah. great president. Yeah. That's like North Korea. That's like, you know, saying that, you know, Kim Jong-il uh, went out and played golf and shot a 34, including nine holes in one. It's, it's just over the edge. It's, it's bizarre. But, um, you know, she only wants to please her boss. And that's, you know, it, in my day, and now I feel old saying back in the day, <laughs> you, you, you have to balance uh, you know, your responsibilities to the president with your responsibilities to the press. And the press was the proxy for the public. And it made the job uncomfortable sometimes because there were times when the president was like, you can't tell them that. And, uh, you know, I would say we've got to tell them that this, you know, they, this is information the public, you know, should know. And uh, now they, they don't care about the public. Um, it's, it's just whatever the president wants. And it's like an authoritarian, it's like a cult. Um, and it's, you know, it is too bad. I, you know, there's a lot of people that put a lot of time into making that briefing what it was and for it to go away like this, um, is a shame. Joe, what was it like working for someone like Bill Clinton, who, who was such a great uh, communicator? And I, I intersect with him a little bit now. He, he comes in and, uh, he, he umpired our charity softball game, um, on Long Island this summer. And he just, you know, people still uh, g- greet him like a rock star. But what was it like being the communicator for someone who felt like, he communicated as, 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 as well as could be possible for somebody in, in that office and did how much second guessing did he do? I guess that's what I want to know. You know, he didn't do a lot of second guessing because he didn't watch a lot. Um, you know, unlike um, President Trump, who I think watches cable TV all day, the president never had TV on during the day. Uh, he would occasionally watch the briefing late at night uh, on C-SPAN, you know, if he was up working. And so I might get a note from him about something I said, but that was rare. What I really got was, you know, every morning um, he would he'd read like 50 periodicals, things I'd never even heard of. And I'd come in, in my you know my office and it'd be full of things with notes saying, you know, what about this? What about that? Uh, but he didn't critique the briefing very much, uh, didn't watch. And, you know, I think even great communicators, uh, you know, one of the jobs of the press secretary is to make sure the president uh, gives his best answer, not his first answer, uh, because often his first answer, um, you know, has 
you know, frustration um, uh, uh, embedded in it and, you know, at times anger because, you know, people are always coming after you from all sides. And those answers don't work very well. Uh, so, you know, we would always practice. Uh, I don't get the sense that anybody practices with Trump, that anyone tells them, here's what we think you should say. Um, and if they are, <laughs> they're morons. Uh, 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 but, it, you know, Clinton was, I think, and I think Obama uh, the same. We're, we're really gifted communicators. But both of them, I know, uh, you know, benefited from, you know, talking through what the best way to communicate something and working at it. Uh, it wasn't just natural talent. Joe, you know, and this is a kind of other than that, how did you enjoy the play, Mrs. Lincoln question? But but it, it, had it not been for, you know, being it's somebody who, you know, got relegated to the place I call Weinstein Island way before there was even a Me Too movement, he, he would be remembered so differently than he is but it's you know my my friend the great william goldman who passed away last year always used to talk about people and he'd say well that'll be in the first paragraph of their obit that will be in the first paragraph of of his obit and 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 man oh man he would be remembered (laughs) vastly differently without it and i'm not minimizing it it was it was a a terrible thing for him it's a terrible thing for her it's a terrible thing for the country but man he, he was a pretty great president yeah, there are, there were a lot of really great things. I mean, yeah. I think um, you know it was a time of great transition and globalization, and he was up to the challenge. I mean, it took someone with real brilliance to you know sort of guide the ship through the the, the 90s uh, because it really was a uh, very fluid time in the world, and there were a number of crises that took. Um, you know, real leadership from the U.S. and and from the president. It's, you know, I think most uh, presidents get a second look 10 years out, 20 years out, and it's mostly more charitable. I think um, it's, uh, it's uh, with, in the case of President Clinton, the Me Too movement, I think, has delayed, you know, some of that reassessment. I think in the long run, 50, 100 years from now, we'll look at that time as a time of great peace and prosperity with, with great leadership from the president and, and personal failings. Um, but, you know, the, the Me Too movement, which is legitimate, it should happen, um, you know, I think has kind of uh, regurgitated um, uh, the, you know, the impeachment and the scandal, um, you know, and, and, and brought it to the fore again. And again, that's just, you know, the president has to live with that. Joe, let's so let's let's shift to what is going on now. Um, and 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 again, it, you use the word shameful so often in discussing not just the behavior of the president, but the the the, the level of sycophancy around him. But you know, Rand Paul last night demanding that the media publish the name of the the whistleblower made me think of an old country western line, which is this: "From the gutter to you is not up." <laughs> yeah. Well, listen, it's um, it's that that's both shameful and cowardly. Uh, if, if Rand Paul felt so strongly about this, uh, he could take the risk of outing the uh, the, the whistleblower. But he doesn't. He does. He does feel strongly, I guess, but he doesn't have the guts to do it. Uh, and none of them have the guts to stand up uh, to an, you know, an immoral president. Um, the, the few that have left and left early. Uh, and, you know, he is surrounded by, um, you know, yes, people, uh, sink of fans. And I think one of the biggest things is um, there are there are always going to be people who have weird conspiracy ideas who want to feed them to the president. And one of the jobs of the staff is to, to regulate the information that goes to the president. You can't have the president talking to crazy people all day because crazy stuff will come out of his mouth. And he'll actually think that, you know, the Ukraine was behind uh, the, the hacking of the DNC and, and uh, WikiLeaks and all of that. And that is a that's the price that Trump pays by not having a first rate staff, because he's just as likely to get information from some Internet troll conspiracy theorist as he is from his secretary of state. Everybody's equal in Trump's mind. He will he will absorb any information that reinforces 
his somewhat twisted worldview. You know, Joe, when I was uh, still writing uh, uh, up front um, in in the Daily News, I, I, I've, I've written this more than once. And I want to ask you about it. And, and I, this is a serious question. And I see people raise it more often now. If there had been a Fox News and if there had been, um, you know, a, a troll dominated social media like this back in the 70s, if if Nixon had had Sean and Laura and Tucker and Judge Janine, do you think he could have survived? Well, Roger Ailes certainly uh, was thinking about that, and he talked about it. It's in the Gabe Sherman's book uh, that he created Fox News in part because he thought Nixon would have survived if uh, he had, an, you know, a, a media machine like like Fox. You know, the I I don't know that it, he would have survived. It's it's hard to. Uh, you know, sort of replicate the 70s with now. The big difference is in 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 19 in the 1970s, Republicans, you know, it, to put it bluntly, had balls. They 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 were not intimidated by the president. They uh, they had their own beliefs. There were many moderates in the party, and they were willing to take on the president. Republicans now um, are, are afraid of the president. And they're 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 more afraid of losing their seat than you know losing their soul. And uh, it's it's so it's not just Fox News. It's it's the makeup of who's in Congress right now, and the fact that you have a bunch of feckless cowards. Uh, and and I don't think and I you know I could be wrong. I don't think that was the case in the 70s. Uh, there was certainly partisanship. There were certainly Republicans who were trying to undermine the investigation of Nixon. But I think at the end of the day, there was still some statesmanship there, and that's why he was forced to resign. Joe Lockhart is our guest on the Mike Lupica podcast. More of our conversation with Joe right after this from Geico. Everybody's got a to-do list. Drop off the dry cleaning, pick up some milk. Here's an idea. Let's add save hundreds of dollars on car insurance. And the good thing is you don't have to drop off or pick up anything. All you have to do is go to Geico.com and in 15 minutes, you could be saving 15% or more on car insurance. Extra money in your pocket? It just may be the most rewarding to do you do today. You know, we're talking to Joe Lockhart on the Mike Lupica podcast, and we're, we're so happy to have him on. If you've listened, we've done, I don't know how many of these we've done, over 200 of them now. And you know, you know that our goal is to just get people smarter than me, which is easy to do twice a week. Okay. Um, but, but Joe, I, I'm a little older than you are and grew up, you know, I, I, I lived through the 60s. Um, and, and I know that people try to compare the 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 divisiveness in this country now to the 60s i don't even think it's close i i really believe and i don't believe this is too dire to say that that one guy who i joe i believe he could you could stump him if you asked him how a bill becomes law has not only exploited every single soft spot in our democracy but he's put the judiciary under attack he's he's put the department of justice in peril the fbi the cia the supreme court and and i i i watch this play out and sometimes feel myself watching the news less and less and and thinking do people understand that that uh, literally our way of life is under assault here I think I think they don't. And I think that's what Trump is counting on. I mean, I I distinctly remember where I was uh, when I heard about Robert Kennedy being assassinated. I remember when Martin Luther King was assassinated. I remember when this when this our cities were burning and then and the anti-war protests were reaching a fever pitch. Kent State, all of that. You know, I was nine or 10 years old. And in an odd way, that was our democracy working. Uh, because people took to the streets and said, enough is enough, you have to change. Now we have this sort of, you know, laissez-faire approach to the government. We're disconnected with it. People aren't taking to the streets, and Trump is taking advantage of that. And everything, you know, it's, it's, it's like you're watching this car wreck in slow motion. Everything he's doing is moving us toward an authoritarian system. 
everything he's doing is undermining democracy. Everything he's doing is undermining every institution in our democracy, the judiciary, the military, the Congress, all of these institutions that are essential to to a uh, working democracy, he is attacking. Why? Well, maybe just because he feels like it, or maybe it's because he thinks that there should be this unitary authority in the country, and it's him. uh, And, you know, he's got designs beyond you know, 2021 and beyond the second term. And we're watching this unfold. And it's like, we're all mesmerized. We don't know what to do about it. Um, I, you know, we, you look around the world right now and you can pick, you know, you can look at Chile today. You can look at Iraq today. You can look at Hong Kong today. These are places where democracy and the hope of democracy is so meaningful to these people. Millions pour out into the street every day some of them putting their lives on the line. You know, we, we just don't have that sense of urgency here. And, and Joe, here's the other thing. And as I was giving you that laundry list of things that are under attack, I, I didn't even get to the most important, which is the sanctity of our elections. And I have a feeling that we are in the same lane on this. And, and, and that is uh, if he loses a close election, he will never he will never accept um, uh, the, the outcome. I, I actually envision a scene where U.S. Marshals have to have to <laughs> go to 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue and drag his ass out of there. Yeah, I you know, I, it's, it's certainly my hope that we don't get there. But, you know, we it's the, the bigger problem, I think, is that the elections will not be he will win and the elections will be deemed as not free and fair that there will be foreign interference and there'll be no confidence in this government. And, you know, a a crisis in a country is the time when institutions have to hold up. And I, my, my guess is he's betting on creating a crisis so that he can take on even more authority. And, um, you know, again, it's, it's a scary thing to watch. And um, I think that we, we all, and I include myself in this, it's so caught up in our outrage over what he's done that day that we sometimes miss the forest of what he's done. Um, and, you know, I hope the campaign can at least try to, you know, surface some of that and make that an issue. But Joe, how this it sounds like a simple question, but I don't think it is. And it's probably more complex uh, for somebody like you who has been on the inside. How did we miss this? Okay, how did we miss this looming danger? How did we miss exactly how much white resentment there was in this country in the in in the run up uh, to, to the last election? Well, I think I think we we were not in touch with just how uh, deeply aggrieved people are about their own situation and just how much they blamed. Uh, institutional Washington. And it's not, you know, again, for better or worse, a lot of people who do podcasts and talk about this for a living live on one of the coasts uh, and not out in the middle of the country. And out in the middle of the country, I think it was a a toxic combination of a little bit of sexism, a little bit of Hillary fatigue, and a whole lot of, I want to, I want to blow the whole thing up. And, and Donald Trump, will blow the whole thing up and he's as mad as we are. And he's just as he gets attacked just like we do. He just happens to, you know, have a bunch of money. Um, and he, he tapped into that and, uh, you know, it, the, the pollsters by and large missed it. Uh, the pundits missed it. Uh, but I think it was a general sort of, um, the country that something has to change. You know, it, it, it's funny when we were talking about Nixon before. Uh, we're talking to Joe Lockhart on the Mike Lubica podcast. Um, you know, the, 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 there's something that falls into the area of what I call uh, Capone and getting him on income tax evasion, and and you can draw a bit of a line from how dumb it was to break into the Watergate over an election that Nixon could never could never have lost. 
to to this phone call and this shakedown of Ukraine. In, in a lot of ways to me, at least thematically, they're they're quite similar because here's how dumb the call that call was with the president of Ukraine. This comes after the guy had just spiked the ball, feeling like he'd won the Mueller report. Well, he felt like he won, which uh, it, he wasn't chastened. He was emboldened that he could do anything. He, he, I think in his mind, he could get away with anything. And he had that, you know, sort of Nixonian idea that if I do it, it's not illegal. Uh, it's the president, because the president can't do anything illegal. I think both of them were fueled um, by a very unhealthy paranoia. Uh, a lot of what Trump's motivation here was he was convinced that it was Ukraine working for Hillary uh, in the election, that that's what the interference was. Nobody else in the world believes that. There is no evidence of that. You know, the server that he keeps talking about is not in Ukraine. Uh, His entire intelligence community uh, has told him it's not true. But a couple of people told him that it was, and he just ran with it. And he just, I think he sees sees with outrage every day that the world doesn't understand what he understands. And that's what Nixon, you know, Nixon, you know, had gotten into a dark place where, you know, the Democrats were the enemy and he was going to do anything he could to destroy them. And, you know, he, you know, he won 49 of 50 states. You're right that he didn't need that help. And and when you when you look at the sheer volume of lies, one of the you know, I, 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 I'm sure you think Daniel Dale is a rock star the way I do. I, we had him on the podcast last week and he was great. And and one of the things he pointed out in, in this theme of resentment, Joe, is how the attacks on Obama are increasing at an almost frightening exponential rate. Yeah, no, there, and that's there's no secret there. This is, is the president tapping into his white nationalist base. You know, o- Obama uh, is not the cause of you know any you know all ills in this country, but he is African American, and he does represent the others that Trump uh, so effectively speaks, often in code, but not always in code. You know, good people on both sides. Um, that is how a lot of America feels. They, they, they resent uh, the intrusion of people who don't look like them and don't speak like them. Uh, they blame uh, th- those people for the fact that they haven't gotten as far as they wanted in their life. They take no responsibility for their effort, you know, getting ahead. Uh, and, and Trump, you know, he, he just throws gasoline on that fire. You know, you you were tweeting, I think, last night about a guy that I make fun of all the time because I live part of the year in his district. And that that is Lee Zeldin. Uh, Lee Zeldin is to me, I wrote this in my Sunday column the other day, is a classic example of the kinds of political nobodies who think they can become somebodies by kissing up to this president. No, I mean, I, I think Lee Zeldin has been sitting in his office for the, for the last month thinking, this is my chance. This is my chance. I'm finally going to, you know, I can be, I can be the Howard Baker or I can, you know, more probably with Lee Zeldin is I can be like Mark Meadows and Jim Jordan. Um, and he's just so utterly dumb that he, I, I just don't, I don't know any other way to um, express it. I mean, I, you know, you put things on Twitter occasionally and you put a lot of thought into it and you make, you know, a sophisticated argument and nobody reacts to it. You, 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 you write something like, boy, is this guy really that dumb? And, you know, the last time I looked, there was like 30,000 people that liked it. It's like they, they get it. You know, it's like it's it's just crazy how these people measure themselves. They literally look at what I think is another clown, Jim Jordan, you know, from Ohio, and think, I want to be like him. It's it's nuts. 
let me give you the list. And and am I and and in no particular order after McConnell. And and I'm I'm going to ask you if if I'm missing any of the major enablers who must think that history is just going to turn a blind eye and give them no reckoning on on what they've done. McConnell, Jordan, Meadows, Gates, Zeldin. Am I am I leaving anybody off this list? Well, you got to put Kevin McCarthy on the list. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yo, Representative yeah. Starburst. I'm sorry. Yes, thank you. This, yeah. That's why I had you on. Yeah. Yeah, no, you got I mean, he's he, he's nominally in charge. Uh, I don't think he really uh, runs the caucus. But, you know, there are, there is not a serious thinker in that crowd. Now, I'll give McConnell credit, which is he knows how to get things done. Um, and he's a gifted inside player uh, on the Senate floor. The other guys are just a bunch of blowhards uh, that came, you know, sort of Tea Party guys that came in and, you know, their their whole shtick is blow the house up. No matter what the issue is, blow the house up. Um, and, you know, there's not there's not a thoughtful brain cell in any of them. Uh, and they're the leadership now. There's no you know, there's no John Boehner to go into the room. And, I, you know, John Boehner and I don't agree on much. But he'd go in the room and say, okay, children, time's up. You've played enough. We have to grow up. And they'd come out of that room and, and, you know, pass the debt ceiling or sign the CR so the government didn't shut down. Um, There's nobody like that anymore um, on the House side. Joe Lockhart is our guest on the Mike Lubica podcast. More with him in a moment. But first, this from our sponsor, Circle. As a parent, we know kids face a million, and I mean a million, online distractions. Fortnite, Snapchat, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, the list goes on and on and on. Circle makes it easy to take childhood offline when needed so they can focus on homework, chores, or just bedtime. Are your kids buying apps they shouldn't? Signing up for social networks they're too young for? With Circle, you can rest easy knowing that they're safe inside the guidelines you set. Mike Lubica here, and Circle is changing the way parents can monitor their family's online access. With Circle Home Plus and the Circle app, parents can filter what content is allowed, set limits for screen time, and monitor history and usage. Hey, you never stop worrying about your kids, but with Circle, you know you have one less thing to worry about. Right now, our listeners get $30 off Circle Home Plus when you visit meetcircle.com slash Lupica and enter Lupica at checkout. Get $30 off when you visit meetcircle.com slash Lupica and enter Lupica at checkout. That's meetcircle.com slash Lupica and enter Lupica to save 30 bucks. Joe, when when you when you were in the White House, you you had to have a sense being on the inside who Bill was listening to, whether it's Hillary or he. I'm sure he had an inner circle that he could go to. And I know that there's a level of Kremlinology that, that, that goes into the question I'm about to ask you. But it's this. Who do you think that Trump actually listens to now the easy answer is no one but i i do believe is it kushner is it his is his daughter is it don jr it's a very small group who who is it still bannon who who make him think that he's on the right path to a second term by acting this way you know it's it is a good question and and i'll start with clinton because he had a he had a wide variety of people he talked to he talked to the guys on the Hill all the time. He had a group around him in the White House that he trusted that he did talk to. He had people around the country, political people that he had, you know, cultivated over the years. Plus, he had a lot of friends from Arkansas that kind of gave him a different view of the world, um, you know, from 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 their perch. Uh, Trump doesn't really have friends, um, as far as I can tell. So it's not like he can rely on calling old friends. Um, I think, you know. He relies on the people who most reinforce his own thinking, the conspiracy theorists. I actually think one of the most influential advisors to Donald Trump is Lou Dobbs at Fox Business. Uh, And I worked with Lou 25 years ago, and God help us if he's, you know, in the president's What color was Um, his hair then, Joe? It it was the same, and he uses the same product. He's, you know, he's he's made somebody a lot of money. (laughs) But but Lou Dobbs, um, 
uh, Sean Hannity, um, you know, these guys who are out there. And, the, you know, the, the funny thing about it is none of these guys are true believers. They're all guys who saw a market opportunity. Yes. Lou Dobbs yes. used to be a straight Lou Dobbs used to be a straight business reporter and used to do business and it was boring, but you know, it and then he realized that there was a lane for him on immigration that would get him attention. Sean Hannity, he, you know, you know, was a screamer and he found a lane that could make him money. And you've got these people. You, there's no one around with principle. There's no statesmen or stateswomen around that you know, have the, a sense of history or a, such a deep commitment to the country that they're willing to tell the president, the emperor, he has no clothes. Uh, it's just a bunch of conspiracy theorists and a bunch of snake oil salesmen, which is what Fox is. Fox is all about, you know, finding the people who can sell that oil to the, to the public and, you know, get big ratings, and they're willing to pay handsomely for it. You know, I keep wondering when he's going to start referring to Bolton, if he sees Bolton as a threat, as as a never Trumper, the way he has recently done with um, a patriot and a, and a hero who happened to be deployed to Ukraine. Yeah, well, I mean, it's the you know, it, it's become the, the moniker for anyone who opposes him. Um, and, you know, most of these people, the career people, they're not never Trumper. They're not never anything. They're just they're. There are people who've given their lives to public service, you know, and, you know, up until uh, a few years ago, that was something that was respected. And, you know, their 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 income was psychic uh, rather than financial. Uh, and, you know, you, they find themselves now, um, you know, the, the butt of the president's um, uh, attacks. The really interesting thing, though, is if you compare them to people who are uh, are supposed to be a lot more powerful, members of Congress. Members of Congress have just rolled over for Trump. They're so right. afraid. Right. These career foreign service guys have stood up, and they've gone up to the Hill, and they've told the truth. And, you know, most of them, they know this is a career-ending move, but they believe so strongly in what they've done and what they stand for that they're willing to do it. If, if, a, man, if a Republican member of Congress had one one-hundredth of the guts of a um, – uh, Ambassador Yovanovitch, we'd be in a much better place. You know, it's funny. How about how about uh, yesterday when you when you start to see some of the questioning and, and you pointed out <laughs> the insanely boneheaded line of questioning from from Lee Zeldin. And uh, how about they're just trying to paint Yovanovitch as some sort of what Russian plant where he got her to admit that her why she was nicknamed she was because she's half Russian and immediately said good I yield like like he had scored some point with that yeah I mean the the Republican strategy is pretty straightforward which is they cannot talk about the underlying evidence here because it's open and shut it just and every day it gets worse so every day they have to like start a bonfire someplace and say hey look over here And what they're trying to do is delegitimize everything in the process. And that includes the people who are in the process. So they will attack anyone. It doesn't matter how long you've served in the military or how how long you've served in the the foreign service. They will do anything uh, to undermine the legitimacy of people, process, all, um, you know, uh, you know, for the benefit uh, of the president who is, you know, the, you know, the delegitimizer in chief. Um, but we, this is, we, we should expect this now until this inquiry is over, until the votes are taken, because the alternative strategy is to deal with the facts. And, you know, that's a loser for that. All right. I got a few more minutes with Joe Lockhart. One, what was it like working at the National Football League? Well, look, you know, it's, I guess the difference is at the White House, I had one president. At the NFL, we had 31 billionaires, so it's, it came from more came from more than one direction. Uh, it you know it um, it's it's great to work in an institution that you know the country as a whole cares about. It's a purple institution. Conservatives love football. Liberals love football. Everybody in between. Uh, and because of that, you're in the line of fire all the time. And that's you know that's more fun to do as a communicator than being in a sleepy industry. 
Um, it, like everything around Trump, it got totally infected by politics. Uh, but uh, I, I have a, you know, I have a lot of respect for a lot of people in the NFL. I have a lot of respect for some some owners that I don't agree with, and there's a couple of them that don't fall into either category. Joe, all right, let's just take a few minutes to talk about 2020. Um, who who other than Biden do you think can beat him? Well, you know, uh, Warren can beat him, um, you know, if she can demonstrate a broader appeal within the Democratic Party. You know, right now, I think she has done very well uh, in the progressive college educated women of the party, but hasn't made a dent at all in white working class or African-Americans. And that's the base of the party. Those are the people who reliably get out and vote. Uh, if she can't do that, um, you know, I think it's a real challenge. I, again, I don't think Sanders, um, I don't think the country is ready for democratic socialism as a whole. Uh, so I think he'd have a difficult time. The rest in the field, if you put Biden aside, they are jockeying to be, I think, the alternative uh, to Biden. You know, Pete Buttigieg um, basically has no experience, but boy, does he have political talent. Um, you know, you just listen to him speak and you think, you close your eyes and you think you're, you're listening to someone much older and much more experienced. Um, you know, Amy Klobuchar is reliable, steady. You know, you could you could look at her and and see a White House with the, that calmed down the country rather than riled up the country. Um, you know, Kamala Harris is someone with a lot of potential that hasn't been realized yet. So, you know, you, you, you don't know, and the, the early, uh, you know, Iowa and New Hampshire, you know, is about how do you appeal to white Democrats, because there are no minorities there. And then you get into a much more traditional um, uh, race where the base of the party has a much larger voice. So, you know, my guess is, you know, Biden has to survive the first two and do well enough to still, you know, to not be battered. And then, you know, he'll be in a position of strength. Someone will surprise in Iowa. Uh, they always do. Uh, Iowa is always um, uh, volatile to the end, uh, and it's you know it's it's going to be it's going to be one of those people I just talked about. I just can't tell you who. Is there any is there any chance that somebody could get into this race who's not in it now? I don't think so. Um, the the only people who could do it would be people that have such a national reputation and national, you know, voter ID. And, you know, I, the only two people I can think of that fit that are uh, Hillary Clinton and Michelle Obama, and neither of them are going to run. Um, you know, if we get to a, a brokered convention in Milwaukee, and because of the rules, it's not likely, but it is possible we could get there and, not, and no one having, you know, it, there could be any number of people who come in for my candidate. But I don't see anybody getting in and trying to slug it out in the, the primaries or the caucuses uh, at this point. What about a guy for whom you once worked, John Kerry? Yeah, I, you know, listen, I, I, I hear rumblings that uh, he's interested in this. Uh, I just think it's late uh, in the process, um, you know, particularly uh, in Iowa, where you've got to put an organization together. Uh, you know, it, to me, it seems like yesterday that he ran in, in, in Iowa, but it was 16 years ago. Um, so he doesn't have an organization there. I don't, um, I don't think he has the, the national appeal, um, uh, that Hillary Clinton has or, you know, or, or Michelle Obama. Uh, uh, so I, you know, he would be someone though, who'd be on the list of, you know, the, the convention is deadlocked, you know, someone to step forward and say, I'm the compromise. Um, uh, because, you know, he's, He's done this before, came very close, and it does have a lot to offer. Does does can can Biden survive losing both Iowa and New Hampshire? Yes, uh, it, it depends on how badly he loses. Um, he he's not going to win New Hampshire between Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren. Um, New Hampshire is going to go to the hometown favorite. Uh, I, I so I think a lot depends on a good showing in Iowa. I, you know, there I can see a scenario where he fails badly in the first two and then wins Nevada and South Carolina and is back in the pole position. Uh, but I think, you know, their focus, and rightly so, 
is on making sure he has a good showing in Iowa. Doesn't have to win, uh, yeah. you know, but he can't come in fifth or sixth. What's your baseball team, by the way? Uh, it's the Mets, uh, which do a little bit of better, better than my football team, the Jets, which is <laughs> kind of a dumpster fire right now. I, and don't, I, get me, don't get me going on the Knicks because that's real pain. I I wrote a column the other day in the Daily News, and I, I, I apologize in advance for using this inappropriate language, but I said the Jets have turned into the Knicks, Joe. <laughs> they have. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and here's the one thing that I learned at the NFL, uh, which, you know, I don't know that fans appreciate as much. The the ownership structure and the owners have a direct impact on the success of the franchise. The the really smart, forward-looking owners know how to put the right people in the right place, and there's no better example. The best-run organization in all of sports are the New England Patriots, um, you know, consistency they have the right people making the right decisions um and you can tell what um teams and what franchises are going to fail often by the ownership structure you know and you know it's there is a pretty direct line uh between um the skills of an owner and the temperament of an owner and the success of the organization and you know uh, my, my teams are all challenged. Oh, my God. The, the, the Jets managed to find a Johnson worse than Woody Johnson, who somehow is the ambassador to the court of St. James. Joe, think about this. Since the Jets last made the AFC championship game in the playoffs, in the last eight years, they have had four general managers. Four. And after they get rid of this coach, they'll be working on their fourth coach and essentially their second owner with Christopher Johnson, who who is who is more responsible for this mess than anyone because he blew up the organization. He fired the previous general manager and he decided looking at Adam Gates that he was somehow looking at the, 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 the new Vince Lombardi. Yeah, well, that didn't work out so well, did it? No. Joe Lockhart, thank you so much for doing this. I wish you I wish you all the best with Georgetown because I want nothing but good things to happen to Patrick Ewing. And I hope that I can circle back and, and have you back on this uh, podcast from time to time. Absolutely. I'd love to do it. And uh, I, I will. The next time uh, Georgetown uh, makes the NCAAs, we can we can celebrate together. All right. Thank you. Joe Lockhart, former White House press secretary, Words Matter podcast, um, Hoyas fan, man about town. Thank you, Joe. Thanks, Mike. Well, that was fun. I mean, I, I just, I, 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 you know, we, we try not to go too heavy on any one area, and we do more sports here than anywhere else. But, I mean, it, the chance to get on somebody who has been in the barrel like Joe has just seemed like a perfect time for this. So continue to download, continue to subscribe, Spotify, Pandora, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, leave comments, give us a good rating. And uh, guess what? We'll talk to you again on Thursday, everybody. The Mike Lupica Podcast is produced and distributed by Compass Media Networks in conjunction with Hiltzik Creative. For iPhone users, go to the podcast app and search the Mike Lupica Podcast. Click on the Mike Lupica Podcast icon and subscribe. For non-iPhone users, you can listen on Google Play Music, TuneIn, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast platform. 